Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Farmers have been striking in India since August last year in opposition to a tranche of agri-reform laws that were passed in September. The protests have been massive, tens of millions of people. But then again, India has a population of 1.4 billion people. So what are these farmers' protests about and how should we understand them? Joining me on the show today is Shivani Kul from Bigul Mazdur Dasta. She kicks off the interview by introducing herself. Hi, uh, I'm Shivani. I'm from India. I'm a political activist with Bigul Mazdur Dasta. And I'm also a trade union activist uh, working uh, in different unions in India. The Modi government, uh, which we we do understand as fascistic in his BJP government, has embarked on a a major agri-reform program and this has sparked massive protests among small and marginal farmers. Just to begin with, can you talk about and explain what this agri-reform agenda is about and who it favours? Okay, so uh, the Modi government uh, last year in 2020, uh, through ordinances, not through the you know, regular debate and discussion in parliament, it brought in three uh, major laws pertaining to uh, trade in agricultural sector. Uh, The first two laws are primarily linked to the uh, agricultural sector and the trade of farm produce. But the third law is a slightly different one. We'll come to that also. But uh, so... uh, in in June last year, Modi government uh, brought into these three laws, and then after that, there were protests, uh, majorly in Punjab, and then uh, in a couple of other states in India. So, what uh, do these farm law farm laws do? So, first of all, it actually clears the path for liberalisation in the sector of purchase and trade of farm produce. So, for example, uh, the first ordinance, Farm Produce Trade and Commerce Promotion and Facilitation Ordinance, which has now been made into a law, uh, it uh, actually, in a way, does away with the uh, government markets, which are called APMC Mandis. Mandis is is, is a, a term for markets in, in India. So, it in a way, does away with these APMC mandis, which are government controlled, and it actually loosens the control uh, and regulation on the uh, prices of farm produce. So, right now in India, uh, on like 23 crops, the government gives a minimum support price (MSP). I'll come to uh, this later, but uh, with with the introduction of uh, particularly the first law, uh, MSP. Uh, won't be uh, available uh, in in a in a in the course of time, and also uh, uh, the APMC Mandi system will be dismantled in the course of time. Uh, the second law, uh, uh, which the uh, government has introduced, is pertaining to the contract farming. It's called uh, Farmers Agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services ordinance, which again has been uh, transformed into a law, and it allows farmers uh, 
to enter into direct contracts with any company, sponsor, middlemen for production of any produce. So uh, 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 right now there are these licensed commission agents which work in these APMC Mondays, but with the introduction of the second law, uh, uh, the farmers do not need to go through these middlemen. They can directly enter into any contract with the with private players. So uh, this is the second act which actually introduces contract farming. The third act is the Essential Commodities Act. Uh, which actually uh, removes all sorts of cap and limits on the stocking of essential commodities. So it's not particularly a farm act. It actually impacts all uh, the working masters, all the you know uh, mass of poor, be it uh, rural poor, urban poor. It affects everybody because if you if you uh, remove this cap over stocking of essential commodities then uh, traders and uh, you know farmers themselves the big farmers they end up stocking up uh, large quantities of uh, essential commodities and then they can create uh, in due course of time artificial scarcity also which can uh, definitely uh, lead to a price uh, hike so uh, the third law in itself is not particularly related to the uh, farm sector it affects everybody but the first two laws uh, uh, which actually clears the way for liberalization of uh, agrarian sector uh, these are actually uh, the ones that are affecting the farming community so in that sense uh, it's it's a long a uh, dreamt project of uh, Indian bourgeoisie to, uh, you know, spearhead the uh, capitalist development in agriculture also, which has been there all along. But yes, with the uh, coming of corporates into this sector, uh, the private capital will be injected in to, uh, into the farm sector in a big way. And uh, it will have lots of repercussions to which we will come later. But in a nutshell, these were the three laws that were introduced. And after these laws were introduced without any discussion, uh, there was the uh, sporadic protests in uh, majorly in Punjab, and then there were protests in Haryana. But uh, uh, I think uh, on 26th, November, if I uh, uh, correctly re recollect, uh, the farmers from Punjab and Haryana, they uh, came to the Delhi uh, borders. And since then, uh, there has been a blockade. So uh, they are sitting in at the borders of Delhi. And uh, Modi government has been into talks with them, but uh, the talks have not uh, yielded any results so far. So in a natural, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to say what these laws are about, they are actually about liberalizing the farm sector. So to, uh, it, it is obvious then the removal of the 
MSP, the what you said is the minimum support price system, which was the the uh, costing system that was in place uh, prior to these laws coming um, through the removal of the the market Monday system. So that being dismantled, then the contract farming, the introduction of liberalisation, it would make sense that farmers, small farmers would be opposed to this. Obviously, big farmers would be very um, in favour of it. And I think this is the dispute that is emerging in India at the moment. Can you talk us through who these farmers are? Can you give us a sense of their economic position, the size of their land holdings um, in comparison to the big agribusiness that they are competing against in this reform project? So, uh, uh, Giselle, I want to make uh, one point clear because whenever we say farmers, it's as if, you know, uh, farmers are a class undifferentiated community. It's not like that. Even uh, farmers are divided into uh, classes. So there are big farmers, there are rich peasantry, there are fullaks, there are capitalist farmers and capitalist landlords in India, because as far as, you know, the organization I uh, come from, we believe that India is a capitalist country, not totally akin to the Western capitalist societies that uh, we have. But India has got its own sort of capitalist development post-1947, when uh, we got independent. So, uh, after that, India has followed a specific kind of capitalist developmental path. So uh, when we say farmers, it, it seems like that, you know, each of these segments of farmers have got uh, alike interests or their interests are common, which is not true. And the kind of coverage that the media, and I'm not saying the lapdog media, which, which actually uh, is a uh, organ of the Modi government, but even the alternative media, uh, which actually showcases most of the protests that uh, goes around in India, even that media is projecting these protests as a monolithic protest, which is which is not so. So uh, when we say farmers, what uh, section are we talking about? Because uh, in India, uh, we've got poor and marginal peasantry. We've got lower middle peasantry, we've got middle peasantry, and we've got rich peasantry, the uh, big Kulak farmer lobby. So, for example, the National Sample Survey Report of 2013, it says that one third of the total farmers in India own less than 0.4 hectares of land. And uh, only one sixth part of their income, that is only 16% of their income comes from farming, rest of it comes from wage labor. The other one third of the total farmers has land holdings between 0.4 to 1 hectare. So farming constitutes 40% of their total income, rest of the 60% comes from wage labor. So if we take into account these two sections together, they compose more than 70% of the farming population. Now, for this segment of uh, uh, rural India, MSP actually hurts them. How does it hurt them? Because these 
sections of peasantry they are principal buyers of farm produce they are not principal sellers they are not left with that much of marketable surplus to sell in the market so they are actually principal consumers they buy uh, food grains uh, so they are net buyers of food grain not net sellers of food grains so any increase in msp which is basically a remunerative price guaranteed by the state to the rural bourgeoisie of this country and msp is actually 40 to 50% higher than the uh, cost of production so uh, uh, it's basically uh, you can say 40 to 50% over and above the rate of profit over the comprehensive cost And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. This is Shivani Kaul talking about the farmers' strikes in India. It sounds like you both disagree with the tranche of three agri uh, reform laws. You disagree with those laws, but you also disagree with the demand to retain the MSP. So. the the farmers that are protesting are obviously responding materially or or responding from their material concerns and so they're saying let's keep the MSP so it almost sounds like a failure of political leadership to redirect those demands firstly what demand would you have in relation to um a, a, the agricultural sector reform what demand would you call for or what demand should be called for right now and is it a failure of leadership or is it a function of the petty bourgeois consciousness of this movement that gives that demand okay uh, jessel i want to just clarify one point that the first two laws are basically uh, reflecting the contradiction between industrial bourgeoisie and the agrarian bourgeoisie and the working class is not obliged to take the stance of any one of these so uh, the third law the essential com- the uh, reform being done into the essential commodities act that is the only law which actually impacts the working class and the mass of working people in india and uh, the working class should oppose that law independently through its independent political position without tail ending the either the you know rural bourgeois uh, segment or you know uh, cheerleading the industrial bourgeoisie it's the same contradiction that one witnessed in 19th century england when corn laws were introduced in england and marx had very succinctly pointed out that how those these those corn laws introduced at that time were actually a contradiction between the uh, rural bourgeoisie of england and the industrial bourgeoisie of england because the rural bourgeoisie wanted to maintain the system of taxes and tariffs Uh, uh which was imposed on imported corn whereas the industrial bourgeoisie wanted to do away with those tariffs because it made corn costlier and corn being the staple diet of the working class uh put pressure on the industrial bourgeoisie to raise the wages so the thing is that whenever 
food grains will be costlier there will be a pressure over the industrial bourgeoisie and upward pressure on the on the wages and it it will uh, it will actually uh, uh, force industrial bourgeoisie and if there is a strong working class movement to increase the wages but it happens rarely and uh, what we witness is that wages are actually depressed over a period of time and in india also because of this msp food grains are costlier and everyone agrees to it even you know be it bourgeois economists be it uh, 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 even economists on the left spectrum everyone agrees that msp actually make food grains costlier so as far as the first two laws are concerned the working class is not obliged to side with any of the two factions of the ruling class uh, be it monopoly capital or the rural bourgeoisie working class and the uh, poor peasantry could have an independent political position and to this relates that what should be the demand for example one of the key demands that the poor peasantry and the marginal uh, peasantry uh should raise is regarding the uh, system of institutional uh, credit being made uh, accessible to them because uh, one of the reasons why uh, they are indebted is because they don't have access to institutional credit secondly subsidies should be there poor peasantry the marginal peasantry should get uh, subsidies but the rich should be progressively taxed for it the urban rich the uh, rural rich they should be taxed by the state so that the subsidy uh, could be given to the poor peasantry because if you don't tax the rich then the burden of these subsidies would also be borne by the working masses thirdly uh, the uh, one of the key demands uh, as i also pointed out earlier that about 70% of the rural population uh, earns their livelihood through wage labor so employment is one of the principal demands and uh, we have been demanding that government should actually formulate a law which makes employment a fundamental right of all the citizens of india and if government is not in a position to give employment then it should give unemployment uh, allowance which is uh, enough to you know uh, for a family to cater to its needs so these are some of the principal demands that uh, we believe that the working class as well as the rural poor should raise because uh, siding with either of the two blocks of the ruling class is not going to make any difference the people are you know uh, trying to portray a picture for example that with the onslaught of corporate capital things will become terrible as if for poor peasantry things are you know uh, rosy right now it's not like that right now the principal oppressor in the country side of the poor and marginal peasantry are the uh, rich farmers and kulaks and it's only the role of the oppressor will change with the introduction of these laws and uh, to an extent some of the rich peasants and uh, kulaks might also get displaced but uh, i believe that that should not be the concern of the working class 
as much as it sh uh, the concern should be how to organize the poor peasantry and the mass of uh, agricultural workers uh, independently of the kulak and rich peasant leadership well as a final question I want to, so we do know that layers of the working class have come out in solidarity with, well, this is the question, I guess, uh, the, there are layers of the working class, the organised working class, that are active at this time. Are they independently organised around their own interests and demands around particularly that third law, or is... Uh, have they been mobilised in support of the interests of uh, the, the the kulaks, as you're describing it, but basically the rich um, agri-bourgeoisie? What is the nature of the support of the working class at the moment in India for these protests? And if if the, they're not independently organised in their own interests, that is the working class, what would it take for that to happen now? Uh, so the thing is that the, there, there has not been a very huge support from the working class because, uh, first of all, the, the, the kind of support, even if the working class has given anywhere, it, it's given by the organised working class uh, which are actually organized in the unions uh, who, who, whose farm unions are supporting these protests. So, for example, the CPM union, uh, the unions affiliated to CPM might have had some protests in support of the uh, uh, farmers' protests. So, uh, that's why uh, one could have witnessed those, uh, those uh, support protests. But uh, majorly, there has not been any uh, uh, working class support for the farmers' agitation. Uh, one of the reasons is that because uh, the de demands on which the farmers are protesting, it's basically relegated to the, uh, to the sphere of MSP. They are not even making the third law, the Essential Commodities Act, the principal rallying point. So it also speaks volumes about the uh, kind of uh, uh, leadership of these protests uh, is there. Because uh, the third law, which actually impacts everybody, is not even at the center of the protest. It's, it's basically MSP, and MSP in that sense hurts the working class. So. Uh, you won't witness that sort of support from the working class. Secondly, uh, the demands of the farm workers in, in, in rural India, for example, having eight-hour workday, having minimum wages as their legal rights, uh, having a weekly off, uh, getting paid uh, at double rate for overtime, this is not implemented anywhere in rural India. So the blanket of uh, labor laws, even if they, are, they exist on only on paper, it's available only to the industrial workers. It's not available to the farm workers. So uh, the, these farm unions and uh, the uh, rich peasantry and the kulaks, they never ever in their dream can give these uh, you know, rights to the rural poor, to the farm workers. And there, there have been 
protests uh, in rural India to have uh, the safety net of farm law uh, implemented in the agricultural sector as well. But these were opposed tooth and nail by uh, the rich Kulak farmer lobby. So uh, the kind of, you know, uh, uh, for example, a common point or a common ground for support from the uh, workers, even in the rural India, this is not even present. So uh, I believe that uh, for example, in, in rural India, these demands are uh, very crucial for the farm workers, uh, which, which uh, are majorly, uh, which majorly come from Dalit caste. So for them, having these laws, having these safety nets in place is, is one of the important uh, aspects of their fight. So this is totally absent from the current uh, farmers' protests. So I believe that as long as this won't be there, uh, any talk of farmer worker unity is is not uh, true it's it's actually presenting a picture which is not even there on the ground uh, a couple of months back when there was lockdown in punjab and haryana when there was lockdown in india and in these two states also the these kulaks and farmers they, they actually had their panchayats in which they voted to have uh, wages kept to a bare minimum. They imposed a ceiling over the wages because there was a shortage of migrant workers. So migrant workers from UP, Bihar, Odisha, Chhattisgarh, Jharkhand, they had left. So they, they, they voted in their panchayats to have a ceiling over wages because there was an upward pressure on the wages at that time. So I believe that right now, if if one is talking about farmer worker unity, there should be some reality to it. And the reality check is that the Kulak farmers uh, lobby and their unions and their leadership, they have never ever uh, stood in support of the farm workers in rural India. So uh, as long as these demands are not met, uh, even uh, to you know, uh, talk about any such unity, uh, it's it's actually a, a sham. It's it's not existing in reality. And uh, at the end of the day, MSP is actually against the interest of working class. So a movement centered around MSP cannot ask for support from uh, the working class, which will be major loser if if it is increased or if it is even there in uh, at uh, you know in place. That was Shivani Kul from Bigul Mastur Dasta in New Delhi, talking about the farmer strike in India. And that's all we've got time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR, with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.